G'day and welcome to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigau and on this show we're examining biblical concepts and ideas and asking ourselves the important question, is it relevant today? Or is it as outdated and ridiculous as trying to remember people's phone numbers? Today's program is titled Four Dimensional Decisions. Esau and Jacob, no soup for you. This is a continuation of our previous presentation called Three-Dimensional Decision-Making. So if you've missed that one, check out our YouTube channel called Is It Relevant Today? where you can find video presentations on many topics, including the one we looked at last time called Three-Dimensional Decision-Making. But as a way of summary, what we looked at last week was Genesis chapter 13, where we looked at Abraham and Lot parting ways and how that process played out. Now we found at the beginning And at the end of this process, that Abraham connected with the vertical dimension. He was making three-dimensional decisions. And at the beginning and at the end of the chapter, you find Abraham building an altar to God. And there he calls upon the name of God. On the other hand, you have Lot and the way he went about making his decisions. You see, he neglected to connect with the vertical component. He made two-dimensional decisions. He looked around, he looked back and forth, left and right, and said, you know, this is what I want. He thought about his financial gain. However, he neglected to connect with God. He neglected to connect with the vertical dimension and ask, what does God want for his life? He neglected to ask God, what impact will this have on my family? What impact will this have on my spiritual life? And what impact will this have on my family's spiritual life and their eternal good? You see, nowhere in the book of Genesis, nowhere in the Bible do you find that Lot builds an altar to God. Nowhere do you find that Lot is calling upon the name of the Lord. And we discovered that when one is neglecting their devotional life, this inevitably leads to worldly desires. And this cannot but lead to wrong decisions. We discovered that Lot chose for himself. On the other hand, we have Abraham. Abraham chose to wait on God. He chose to make time for God in his devotional life and included him in his decision-making process. We discovered in the story of the boy who was at the hairdresser and refusing to take a handful of the lollies that he was offered only so he could have the hairdresser actually give him the lollies because he knew that the hairdresser's hand was much bigger than his. In a similar way, Abraham knew that God's hand was much bigger than his own. We discovered that Lot chose for himself. Abraham, though, he was making three-dimensional decisions. He was constantly connecting with God, and he waited on God, and God says to him, I give it to you. Today, we're going to have a look at four-dimensional decision-making. Now, the fourth dimension is sometimes described as an aggregate formed by successive positions in time and space. But for the purposes of our talk today, we're going to look at the fourth dimension as being time. So how does time play into our decision-making process? We live in an instant culture today. We live in a world that wants things right now. We're not prepared to wait. We live in a world of instant money. Instant answers, instant news. Now, whether it's real or fake is a different story. We have instant loans, instant entertainment, instant gratification, instant weight loss, and instant lockdowns and quarantines. This is the world that we live in today. And I believe that this attitude of wanting things right this very moment plays right into the enemy's hand for us. You see, this is Satan's motto. Do it now. Pay for it later. We're going to have a look today at the process of making four-dimensional decisions, including the fourth dimension of time and thinking of how this impacts our future into the decision-making process. And we're going to do this by having a look at the story of Esau and Jacob, which we'll do just after this song. But 
strong Jesus keep me from all wrong I'll be satisfied as long as I walk let me Is it relevant today? I'm Marius Jigao, and today we're looking at four-dimensional decision making and how this played out in the life of Esau and Jacob. And we're going to start by reading the passage of scripture found in Genesis chapter 25, verses 20 to 34, and it reads: Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So, when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when she bore them, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. What good is this birthright to me? 
Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now what we find here is the family of Rebekah and Isaac. We discovered in the previous chapter that Isaac loved Rebekah. And there's an interesting verse in verse 21, which we just read that says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. Now, at a cursory reading of this verse, it can appear to us that Rebekah was unable to conceive, and Isaac prayed, and then she became pregnant. It appears, as all this is described in one verse, that it happened very quickly. However, if we look a little closer, we find that Isaac was 40 years old when they were married and 60 years old when she gave birth. It appeared that God waited 20 years to answer this prayer. It seems that from the beginning, God was trying to teach Isaac the same thing he was trying to teach Abraham and the same thing he would later go to teach Isaac's son, Jacob, which was to be patient. He was trying to teach them the importance of the dimension of time and waiting on God and His will for your life. Now we find that Rebecca conceived, and I can just imagine as her bump grew that she was feeling a little unwell and she would have possibly gone to some of the other servants who were also pregnant and say to them, Does it appear to you there's like six legs in your belly kicking in different directions? And they may have said to her, No, no, not really. It only appears there's three legs in our belly. And she said, Something isn't right. So she goes and she asks of God. She asks him, What's happening? And here we find one of the important aspects of the decision-making process that really stands out. God said to her, Two nations are in your womb. We can learn from this that our choices don't just impact us. Our choices impact generations to come. You see, God values the gift of choice, so much so that He chose to allow us to decide for ourselves. Now, He realized that by doing this, sin would come into the world, but God, in His infinite wisdom, decided that it is worthwhile to allow sin to persist for a time in order to create a universe where free will is possible throughout eternity. I was thinking about this concept a little earlier, and it struck me that God allows us to shape eternity. Think about that for a second. God allows our decisions to shape eternity. Choices are so important to Him that He allows us to make these choices and shape the future of the universe. Now, I love to do renovations. In fact, at our previous home, in the bathroom, when I looked, I realized that the tiles weren't lining up properly. And this drove me bonkers. And one day, I went into the bathroom and destroyed it completely. I stripped it down to the studs and started building it again. And I realized that this isn't something I can really do for a profession because I'm a little too obsessive. I need things to be exactly right. And when my friends would sometimes come and help me, and I would see that something was done that wasn't done exactly right, I would be like, ugh, let me do it. God isn't like this. God isn't a micromanager. God allows our choices to influence generations to come. This is how much He values our free will. And we're going to have a look at a great example of this just after these songs. Lord, I come to you Let my heart be changed Renewed Flowing from the grace That I found In you And Lord, I've come to know The weaknesses I see 
Is it relevant today? Right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Marius Jigal, and today we're looking at how the dimension of time impacts our choices. We're looking at four-dimensional decision making. Now, we've had a look at the story of Isaac and Rebecca, and we've seen that our choices don't only impact us, but they impact generations to come. A good example of this is found by having a look at a gentleman called Jonathan Edwards. Now, Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher who lived in the early 1700s. He was devoted to God and he was involved in a revival that occurred in America around that time. He gave his heart to God and was concerned with making the best impact on society that he could. Around 150 years later, towards the end of the 1800s, a researcher decided to look into his genealogy and find out what has become of his descendants. And he found that from Jonathan Edwards came one vice president, three senators, five governors, three mayors, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 86 college professors. Around a hundred lawyers, sixty physicians, seventy-five military officials, four hundred and thirty preachers and missionaries, around sixty prominent authors, and eighty other public officials. Now, this researcher decided to look at another gentleman who also lived around that time, named Max Jukes, and he looked at his descendants. Now, Max lived a very different life to Jonathan Edwards. 
Max didn't care about the future. Max focused on the right here and right now. He got in trouble with the law a number of times. You see, he didn't care about God. He didn't actually even believe in God. And he married a wife who had a similar value system to him. He lived in the moment. He was only interested in the right here, right now. He didn't care about the consequences. Now, when they looked into his descendants, they discovered that from Max Jukes came seven murderers, 60 thieves, around 300 people that went to prison for an average of around 13 years, 190 prostitutes, and just under 700 self-confessed alcoholics. Our choices don't just impact us, but they impact our children and their children. Now, I'm not saying that if you had a father who wasn't interested in God and didn't care about society, that this means you're doomed to failure. No, the beauty of the scripture, the beauty of the message that God gives us is that any time you can choose God and completely turn your life around. But what this does tell us is that your choices will impact your children and their children. A great example of this can be seen by a researcher who looked into children of parents who were smokers. They discovered that these children were twice as likely to take up smoking between the ages of 13 and 21 as were children of parents who were not smokers. Our decisions don't just impact us, but they impact our children and their children. We find in the life of Isaac and Rebecca that Isaac loved Esau. But Rebecca loved Jacob. From the very beginning, we see that there's dysfunction in this family. There are some serious issues. And then we come to the event of the birthright and the soup. Now, I can imagine how this played out. Esau came back from his hunt really starving. And as he came into the camp, I can see him lifting up his nose and going, Oh, I smell something awesome. Is that my favorite red lentil soup? And he followed his nose and made his way to Jacob's tent. And he was like, Jacob, my favorite brother, can I have some of that awesome red lentil soup? And Jacob said to him, no soup for you. And he said, come on, man, please let me have some soup. And Jacob said, no soup for you, unless you give me your birthright. And Esau said, well... I'm about to die. I mean, I could literally drop dead any minute. What good is this birthright to me? And Jacob may have chimed in and said, you know, you're right. You really could drop dead any second now. And if that happens, well, the birthright by default goes to me. You're better off selling me your birthright and having the soup. And in this way, Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. Esau cared about the right here and right now. That's what was important to him. But how is this relevant to us today? We'll find out just after this song. Just when I would have given up, you go and mercy me, mercy me when I'm falling, mercy me, hear me calling, mercy me like raindrops falling, pour your grace out on me, mercy me so undeserving mercy me 
see me Have mercy on me Have mercy on me, Lord You are God and I am not I'm nothing without you And your incredible mercy Desperately Than I need the air I breathe Father, fill the air with mercy Just when I feel I can't go on About to sink beneath the sea Just when I think the end has come You go and mercy me Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? You're listening to Marius Jigao and today we're looking at how ignoring the implications of our decisions plays out in the future. We've seen how Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And we may say, this isn't relevant to me today. How is this relevant to me today? Well, this is remarkably similar to the culture that we live in today. We live in a culture that tells us to focus on the right here and right now. And this is exactly the way that Esau lived. How many of us know the company of the logo that looks like a tick? I'd be surprised if there were many people who didn't know that the logo that looks like a tick is the logo of Nike or Nike as some people pronounce it. Now, The name for this logo, the name Nike, was actually the name of a pagan goddess, the goddess of victory. How many of us know what the slogan that goes with this logo is? I'm sure most of us can easily recall that the slogan is, just do it. This slogan is in line with what society is teaching us today. Just do it. Think of the consequences later. Just do it right now. Now, very few people actually know where this slogan was inspired from. It was inspired by a notorious killer called Gary Gilmore, who was executed for his crimes in 1977. This is where Nike was inspired for their slogan, which says, Just do it. This is the world that we live in. We live in a world that is telling us, Enjoy right now. Don't worry about the consequences. There is a dating site called Ashley Madison. But this isn't any regular dating site. This is a dating site designed specifically for people who are married and are looking to have an affair. 
In fact, their slogan is, Life is short, have an affair. It's not surprising that we have such dating sites today, as this is the way that society is teaching us to think. Don't worry about the future, right now. Feel good right now, have an affair. Do it right now, don't worry about the consequences. In 2015, a hacker did what hackers do and hacked into this website's private information. They got the names of all the members that existed at the time and there were 32 million of them. And this hacker took this information and made it public for everyone to see. People were able to see who was a member of this website, which encouraged, well, not just encouraged, actually enabled adultery. And many people, when these names were published, were really stressed out, as you can imagine. Amongst these names were names of government officials, politicians, business people, even pastors and elders and deacons in the church. This led to many people losing their jobs, many people losing their marriages, and some people even committed suicide over this scandal. And I thought to myself, you know, given the way that this was exposed in 2015, surely this website has shut down by now and they don't have any more members. So I had a look at the website last night. Now, as I did this, I went and spoke to my wife and I told her, I'm looking at the website Ashley Madison, but only for sermon illustration purposes. So when you look at our browser history and you see I've visited this website, no, it's just for sermon illustration purposes. And what I discovered was that this website has far from collapsed because of the scandal that occurred in 2015. In fact, they currently have 54 million users. They have around 17,000 new subscribers every day, and many of them right here in Australia. Apparently, it's extremely popular in Aubrey, where they have the highest number of subscribers per capita. This website encourages people to commit adultery. Right now. Just do it. Don't worry about the consequences. As we mentioned before, this is Satan's motto. Just do it. Feel good right now and pay for it later. We find this exemplified in the life of Esau as he trades his birthright for a bowl of soup. In fact, in Genesis 25 verse 34, we're told that Jacob gave Esau bread and a stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, went his way, and so Esau despised his birthright. Now, there's something about this phrase that's lost in translation. When you have a look at the language it was written in, Hebrew, there's almost a poetry about it. It sounds very different to how it sounds in English. And I just want you to listen to how it sounds in Hebrew when it describes what Esau did. This is what the Hebrew sounds like. Vayochar, Vayajd, Vayakom, Vayilek. Now, what this means is Vayochar, and he ate, Vayashd, and he drank, Vayakom, and he arose, Vayilek, and he departed, Vayiza, and he despised. The way that it sounds in Hebrew is almost that these things were all kind of similar. It's like a fast food transaction. He ate, he drank, he got up, he left, he despised. It's interesting that we're told that Esau despised his birthright. Now, it doesn't say that he didn't care about his birthright. It says that Esau despised it. And to understand why we're told he despised his birthright, we need to look at what the birthright actually meant which we'll find out just after this song. Oh, love that will not let me go I rest my weary soul in thee I give thee back the life I Flow. Make richer, fuller 
on my way I yield my flickering torch to thee My heart restores its borrowed ray That in thy sunshine's blaze its day May brighter, fairer be My heart to thee I trace the rainbow through the rain And feel the promises not vain That morn shall tearless be Life's glory dead And from the ground There blossoms red Life that shall Endless peace Life that shall Endless peace Endless peace Endless peace Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today, right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigau, and today we've been looking at the impact of our decisions on the future. We've discovered that Esau despised his birthright, and that he sold it for something as trivial and meaningless as a bowl of soup. But what was this birthright that he sold? What did it actually mean? The birthright entitled Esau to two-thirds of the possessions of his father. But along with this monetary benefits, there were also other things. It would have meant that he would have needed to have been the leader of the clan. There was a responsibility that came along with this. He was also entitled to the promise that was made to Abraham, that he would be given Canaan as the promised land was to come to him and his descendants. Another thing that was included in this birthright was that he would have been part of the line of the Messiah. And Esau didn't care about these things. In fact, if you have a look at it from a monetary point of view, Isaac's father Abraham was extremely wealthy. We find out in Genesis chapter 13 verse 2 that he was rich in gold and silver. And we also find out in Genesis chapter 14 that when Lot was taken captive, Abraham sent 318 servants that were born in his house to rescue him. Now, these weren't just servants that he had acquired along the way. These were servants that were actually born in his house. This suggests to us that Abraham had potentially thousands of servants. And this would have been passed on to Isaac. And now it was in line to be passed to Esau. But Esau wasn't interested in the responsibility that came along with this. In fact, inspired writings tell us that in disposing of it, he felt a sense of relief. Now his way was unobstructed and he could do as he liked. This birthright was seen by Esau as something he didn't want. He despised it. When you have something that's so extremely valuable and you trade it for soup, it shows that you really don't care about it, but more than that, you actually despise this item. And this is what you find Esau doing. He treats it as something completely trivial and trades it for a bowl of soup. There's an interesting verse that's actually a very difficult verse found in Malachi chapter 1 at the end of verse 2 and beginning of verse 3. We're told that God loved Jacob, but that he hated Esau. 
I always found this passage difficult to understand because the Bible tells us that God is love and He loves everyone. He loves even the worst sinner. Now, if this is the case, and it is the case, how can it say that he hated Esau? I mean, Jesus, when he was being crucified, was actually praying for the people who were crucifying him. How can we understand this concept that God hated Esau? Well, when we look a little closer, when we look at the context, we discover that it's not actually speaking about Jacob and Esau personally. It's speaking about their descendants and their descendants' descendants. See, we found that our decisions impact generations to come. They don't just impact us. They impact our descendants. And this is what happened with Jacob and Esau. Esau's choices impacted his children and his children's children. And his godless choices would have led countless thousands, potentially millions of people to be lost. Because of these choices, many of his descendants would have been lost and God hates it when people are lost. God hates the evil choices that we make that lead to the potential loss of our eternal life, but also to the potential loss of our children's and our children's children's eternal life. Many people are making these kind of choices today. Choices that only think about right here and right now and they don't realize that this doesn't just impact them but it impacts their children and their children's children. One area that these choices are made is in the area of media and the things that we choose to watch and to consume. Many people are consuming media that's unfit for Christian consumption. We watch things that include sex scenes and violence and our children see us watching these things. And on the one hand, we're telling them, you know, we shouldn't be watching sex scenes. But on the other hand, we are watching them ourselves. And they see this imbalance between what we say and what we do. And they don't listen to our words. They actually take on our habits. And then as they grow up, They don't just tolerate these things that we may have just tolerated. They actually end up accepting them. And the next generation doesn't just accept it, they embrace it. And in this way, our sins are passed to our children and to our children's children. And this can ultimately lead to them losing their eternal life. And God hates it when people are lost. I wanted to ask you today, Do you care about your birthright or do you despise it? The Bible tells us that when we treat our birthright as a trivial matter, we don't just not care about it, we actually despise it. I spent most of my life despising my birthright. I lived a life of drugs and alcohol abuse. I used to think of the right here and right now, and that's all that mattered to me. I wanted to feel good right now, and I'd deal with the consequences later. And even now, my brain has been trained to think this way, and I struggle with these thoughts that I have taught myself. I despised my birthright. I wanted to ask you, do you care about your birthright? Or do you despise it? Our birthright is that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. Our birthright is that we will rule with Him in heaven. Our birthright is a home in the New Jerusalem. Our birthright is a piece of land allotted to us in the new earth. Our birthright is eternity. But not just that. Our birthright is to shape eternity. I wanted to ask you today, are there aspects of your life that you're trading this priceless birthright for soup? I wanted to ask you today, are there things in your life that you know will exclude you from the kingdom of heaven that you are not willing to let go of, that you're essentially trading for your birthright? I wanted to ask you to search your heart today. 
Search your heart and find if there's something that you're trading for your birthright. And if there is, I want to encourage you to hand it over to God. Nothing is worth us giving up our birthright. Look into your heart. And if you find that there's something getting in the way between you and God, surrender it to Him today and claim your birthright as sons and daughters of the Most High. If this is your wish today, make this decision in your heart as we close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the birthright that you have given us. We thank you for the amazing gifts of choice that you give each one of us. Lord, we want to commit to you whatever we have that's separating us from you. And Lord, we pray that you help us to overcome because we want to spend eternity with you. We know that you are coming soon. Help us to be ready for this event. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for listening today and don't forget to visit our YouTube channel called Is It Relevant Today? where we have video presentations on many topics including the one we've just been talking about called Four-Dimensional Decision Making. Jacob and Esau, no soup for you. But for now, thanks for listening and we look forward to seeing you next week. I'm Marius Jigal. God bless and I hope you have a magnificent day.
You've been listening to Is It Relevant Today? If you have any questions or comments, please leave them on our Facebook page, Is It Relevant Today? But for now, thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next week. I love to tell the story Twill be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love